So, here we are again with podcast. Yeah, and we should say Happy Christmas because I think that's when this will be heard is on Christmas Day. So for those celebrating, yeah, that's true. Actually, Happy Santa Claus or Happy Holidays, whatever you're celebrating or not celebrating, Happy Monday, fun day. Today we went for a ride along the Welland Canal. We did. And I was going to talk a little bit about that ride, but I also thought I should cover a little bit of the history of the Welland Canal. Like, don't panic, it's not going to be a history lesson. Jamie likes his history. I was just curious. I always learn something. Go on. Well, I found a cannon today in Welland (laughs) that was from the reign of Queen Victoria, based on the little crest on it. And I learned how many of those cannons they used to have on ships in, did you say the 30s? Uh, 1830s. See, 1830. I couldn't Um, believe how many of those things they could get on a ship and it still float. Yes, 72 guns and they would have 30, however many of those on the bottom deck and then smaller ones on on the top, so... Whoa. So anyway, I just wanted to say the Welland Canal, which links the Lake Ontario and Lake Erie together, was first, the first ever canal was started in 1824. Just before the cannons on the ships. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But they've rebuilt it four times. So they rebuilt it again in 1842 and then they rebuilt it again in 1887. And then they finally built the one that currently runs between 1913 and 1932. And I think, from what I could gather, depth and width have been the thing, so, to accommodate bigger ships. Third try is the charm. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. So, anyway, that's a little bit about that. So, we're kind of new to the area, and we're just settling in. Jessica wanted to ride without a boot, so we picked something (laughs) simple. But no, I mean, it was not much more difficult than riding on a normal pavement, right? I mean, Correct, so. but it was nice to still be in the woods, but it was an, another great next, very cautious step forward. And it, it's, not, it's not nothing, to be honest, and I'll just talk about that in a minute. But basically, basically if you go to Welland and then you find Cross Street... There's an island called Merritt Island, and there's a car park there. Just past the library. Yeah, and it's free parking, which is interesting because all the others are paid. Yeah, they were. You're right. Just keep going till the end, really. And you'll see a kid's playground and, like, a wide tarmac path. And if you go along the wide tarmac path and take the first right, you see. It's classed as a blue, but, I mean, I, I, I would question... Definitely a green. It's the Welland Riverside Trail, but if you keep, and this sounds stupid, but if you keep turning right, so every time you merge onto the tarmac, if you then take the next right, you end up on a single track trail that kind of meanders its way about four kilometres, and there's a road section you come to, and then you go under the one of the big highways and then you keep going you keep going and eventually you come to a a railway track and then if you go along the railway track i guess illegally but there's a mountain bike trail that you'll see just to be clear that's the railway track that goes over your head yeah okay look up for the railway track for the railway you go along the railway track 
literally across um, the canal and then you can then return uh, on the other side which is actually known as Welland Bluffs I found out today and then that trail I think used to be pretty cool it's a blue again but they've been doing a lot of house building and when we did it we kind of ended up with excavator mud on our tires which is quite annoying it was tricky to navigate there's like new house building there's a bit of a new road going in there's a bit of junk and stuff as you get closer to welland again but it it's worth a look and i i'm hoping that when they finish the house building they kind of restore it in some way yeah um, it just kind of looks like it needs a little bit of attention yeah i mean it's a bit more than a shovel and a set of uh, loppers it's kind of it 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 kind of needs reinstating at some point and it, it would be good if they did because from welland up one side, cross the railway, down the other, it's all pretty much off-road, and in total it's getting on for probably five miles, I guess, seven and a half, eight kilometres, so it's, you know, on your doorstep, it's not nothing, and if you're visiting, it's uh, it's it's worth a ride, so... Pleasant little loop. Yeah, and just on the fact that it's a complete beginner trail, I mean, if you are a beginner new to riding off-road... There's the odd thing, like there's a couple of interesting little slopes, there's... Was um, it one little log roll? There's a log roll. And a couple of um, rickety bridges too yeah. that weren't <laughs> nothing, especially but covered in ice. Or a bit snowy and icy. And then on the other side there's a few little sort of single tracky ups and overs. So if you're a, you know taking someone out for the first time or just learning or just want a bit of fitness, it's definitely worth giving it a go, I would say, so... Yeah. Yes, or if you live in the town of Welland and you do not have a car. Yeah, um, and then toilet facilities obviously are in Welland, so we stopped covering that, but uh, car parking's free. Actually, if I might just interrupt you, we saw a number of toilet oh, facilities on in like um, cinder block, cement block buildings. I do not know if they're open year round, but there were some nice facilities, a step up from Portaloos, <laughs> and several true. of them. I think they're seasonal, actually, from the sign on them. Well, they looked nice. They were, I'm sure they were nice. <laughs> we haven't investigated the inside yet, that could be a different story, but the building was nice. Yeah, and you were quite taken with the, or noticed the kind of memorial arboretum as well, which was quite cool. It was quite cool, and I'd like to look into that a little bit more, but a lot to, a lot of plaques and um, flowers out, or decorations. Christmas baubles. Yeah, it was, it was quite nice. So on our ride, we found three types of mushroom. We did. I will go in order of... On the journey. On the journey, and... I'll tell you exactly our moves. Jamie spotted with his ninja eyes. I never, I never in a million, I don't even know how you spotted those. One upside down mushroom. Yeah, is that what it was? One was turned up? Yeah. Uh, that's how you spotted it. I was wondering because they are, or were, the caps were essentially the same color as the ground and everything is pretty gray brown blah at the minute yep um but there was a little section of like i think mostly pure coniferous forest area and in the pine needles jamie spotted what we do believe to be a gray knight so 
These mushrooms were growing, again, as I said, in in and amongst coniferous trees and yeah. in from the ground, uh, popping out of the pine needles. And it could have been singly, but we found some large groups of them. Um, the caps uh, of the mushroom were... At first, I would say conical or convex, but as they matured, they appeared to go flat. They were, some were like a mouse gray color and some were a little, I think maybe some of the older ones were a bit more brownish. We were even wondering at one point if they were two different species, but I think it was just a matter of uh, age. Uh, It was a white gilled mushroom also had a white smooth stem that was pretty straight and a pretty even diameter I would say and the spore print of this mushroom was also white. All of this wonderfulness that we've shared and it even has been recorded to be a I quote good mild tasting mushroom but double underline the but it is easily con- to far too easily confused with other poisonous gray or brown mushroom species. So best to stay away from this mushroom as it can cause kidney damage, which we do not want. No, and I, I mean, I spent a good hour and a half of kind of internet research to get to a point where I was convinced that that's exactly what it was. And even the picture mushroom thing was kind of giving kind of false readings, so... It came up with about three or four possibilities. I mean, one thing I I would say for sure, and was in our favorite book, is um, the family that it's in of, I'll try and pronounce it, Trichalomas. Trichalomas? Um, Sounds right. That was in our favorite book and said the same thing, I believe, about best to stay away from this mushroom. It's just too easily confused with other gray-brown mushrooms that can cause this, this kidney yeah. problems so um, and i and i do wonder like you said whether what we actually found was a mixture of some that were okay and some that weren't i you know i mean i took say we had 10 examples i took six pictures and half of them say one thing and the other half say you know gray night and it's like i just don't know and the fact the score prints the same color which is normally the fail safe just yeah just too risky so we like our kidneys so we'll (laughs) leave them be need them for the time being so yes please so yeah so that's that one and then one thing i was going to say is that the i wonder if there'll be other things in that spot in the spring because we've realized that you often get like a prevailing wind and water like fresh air seems to be the thing for mushrooms in a lot of places and there's a canal one side a river the other and as you said, it was cool, cooler there because of the breeze blowing. Mm-hmm. And there's just like one pocket of conifers, right? Because the it rest of it was, was fairly deciduous. So yes, you've sir. got a lot of deciduous trees and then suddenly a little conifer patch. It was. So, yeah. Just kind of came out of nowhere, as did those mushrooms. Yeah. So I wonder what will come up in the spring. I guess that was my... Well, I'll bet some slippery jacks. Maybe. Yeah, we, we didn't like find any old ones, did we? So. No, it might be getting on a little too late, even for the remnants of them. We did find one elm oyster, though. Oh, yes, we did. <laughs> I'm sorry, I missed that one. That was that the first, was the one, first one. My apologies. How could I forget that 
lonely little friend. He was a bit old, but... A bit old, but I think, um, does not look bug-infested or like it's, you know, starting to decay. So I'm betting that just with a little bit of... Coax it with a little bit of moisture and uh, she'll be delicious. So then we rolled on a bit further on our little adventure. And as I was looking to the left and spotting a big marshy pond, breeding ground for the spring, I happened to spot rather a big cluster of you looked oysters. the other way. And yes, Jamie found a pretty good little mother load of oyster mushrooms on. One log, one log just littered with several bags full. So there's a lot of different species of oyster mushrooms. You know, perhaps this one could be called just the classic oyster. We like to call it the winter oyster because this is, I I shouldn't say definitely, because what do I know? Definitely not much. Um, But it's highly like, it looks very much the same as other winter other oysters that we have found at this time of year so we like to call it the winter oyster although it might just be the classic yeah i was going to just say on the identity thing um which you can talk about in a second but what i did find with that again is if you just take a picture of them on the log and put that into the picture mushroom thing an application yeah then if you just scan it as they appear on a log, like a big bunch of them, then you get weird responses. So I got fried, <laughs> but I then, because it just seems like you know, what is it owned by? Who is it? KFC, the KFC Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> That's our cat crying in the background. Um, and I looked at the picture, and it's like, well, it's not them because these have got stem, which so that's not that um, like a proper, more traditional-looking stem. Anyway, what my tip is if you're using telephone applications is zoom into the mushroom that you're taking a picture of when you take a picture of it. I.e. you're far better to take up one a picture of one oyster top if you can underside front. Because then it will stand a much better chance of identifying it correctly. If you take a picture of a cluster it seems to get confused because it then starts to tell you lots of other things so that was my one thing with that's my a good tip own bit of observation no that's a great tip actually and then you can talk a bit more about our process because we have quite a big process when we identify them generally don't we i.e we take the picture with the application and then we use that to look it up in the book and then we'll which i think it. we did explain we from, did, was it in the last episode it's not a bad thing to reiterate that you need to do these steps though yes i apologize you're right it could be not said enough times yeah fair enough so these classic or as we like to call them winter oysters they grow in shelf-like overlapping clusters They can be, the younger ones can appear fairly small, and they can also grow to be quite large in size. I mean, some of them are the size of, like, tea saucers, would you say? Yeah, Teacup saucers? Yeah. At least, if not bigger. Uh, They definitely like 
hardwood, particularly beech or oak trees, but I do believe that they can occur on conifers. Uh, they like living or dead wood. They don't judge. <laughs> They'll attack anything. Uh, or logs. They are, the ones that we found today are a tan kind of caramel cover colored cap um, but they could also be bluish gray or brownish gray they're generally quite smooth they have thick firm flesh I would even say that they are quite meaty yeah yeah again the ones that we have been finding for a couple of a couple of years now at this time of year are pretty well frozen like you are snapping they you unfortunately have to to get them off of the log you end up breaking some of them you always need a saw rather than a knife yeah so some of them you can kind of pry off in a cluster but some of these the large clusters that they grow in you end up because they're frozen you end up snapping and breaking some of them and often they are covered in snow too yeah so then the edges of the caps could be wavy or irregular and the gills are fairly closely spaced and decurrent, meaning they run down the stem. And the stem could almost be just kind of a part of. So the spore print for these are white. Could be a pale lilac grayish hue to it, but generally pretty white. So that was a pretty good little amount that we collected off, as I said, one log. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it was two two fairly big paper bags full and they're currently drying in the garage or kind of on a tray in the garage so uh, as they thaw out before we do something with them properly they're probably going to be a bit dirty because it's quite difficult to clean them when they're covered in snow and ice as well um, and then we carried on our little ride and you spotted a little it was it was just at the part where Near you the, kind of look up bridge. and you see the train tracks. Yeah. I just happened to spot off to one side a small cluster of velvet foots. Or enokis. So on the enoki front. Or are they not called that? They now? well, you can, I think I think it's correct to also call them that. Perhaps more correct would be velvet foot. They are of the same species, but they do look completely differently. Right. So just for maybe accuracy's sake for the new new hunter, maybe we should call them velvet foots. And they're edible. They are. So these little suckers grow from decaying wood, particularly elm. Frequently they could be on the sides of standing dead trees and don't just look down. I mean, do look down, but also do look up. They could be fairly high up in the tree, almost even out of reach, heaven forbid. Actually, such as the ones that um, that you took a beautiful photograph of and framed. Yeah. Those were high up in a tree. I have a question just quickly on the oysters, going back a second. Oh, sure. Are they parasitical or are they, as in, do we know if they live on, you said, they are happy on living wood or dead wood. Do we know if... I just wondered if they're, um, you know, if they destroy the tree like some of the funguses do. Okay. So I had a question for you. Just going back to the oysters for a quick second there. Yes. 
Which is, do we know if oysters are parasitical? I.e., do they attack living trees or Kill some? Them. Yeah, or some mushrooms do, and then others live in harmony. I just wondered what their deal was. Well, I'm not entirely sure, but I don't think that they kill healthy trees, but they do they are tree rotting fungi. So usually the tree is already stressed out or already on its way to dying before the elm sorry, before the oyster mushroom spores invade it. Right. Okay. Meaning that they break down things that are already on their way to dying. So they're, yeah, so they're not a killer. (laughs) (laughs) Not a true murderer. No, just a decomposer. Correct. There you go, that answered that one. And sorry, I interrupted you when you were talking about Anokis on dead standing wood. No problemo. Dead standing wood. Yes, so we were saying don't forget to look high up as well as down low because it could be on a stump or it, like I said, could be a, a dying tree that's still standing. Yeah. Um, so typically we find these in clusters, although I do believe that they can grow singly. They're usually, I would say, small to medium size, all the ones that we've ever found. Yeah, more on the smaller side, actually, I would say. Yeah, so, you know, it's not like we're getting a great huge haul like we do with, say, the oysters. Um, but you can still get a pretty good, pretty yeah, healthy taste, cluster. Good taste as well. They do. So the caps of these little fellers are orange-brownish, orange and they're... They're rounded, I would say, could become a little flatter as they grow up and get a little older. Um, Oh, during like wet weather, the surface of them could be quite slimy or moist. So get in there and touch them. And they have a very distinctive stalk, don't they? They do. So the stems, when again, when they're young, they can be quite pale. But as they mature, they darken from... And specifically, they darken from the base up. So the top of the stem could still be um, pale, but the bottom and most of the way up could be dark brown or black. Now, it's important here that there's no, that you find no evidence of a ring on the stem. And I'll get to that in a second. Um, But moving on just to the gills that they have are a white to creamy yellow color, pretty closely spaced and attached to the stem. The spore print of this mushroom is going to be white again. And the stems just on from a cooking and eating point of view, I don't we don't generally eat the stems. Not to say don't use them for a stalk. But they can be a bit chewy and tough. So yeah. especially those darker colored ones, we usually hack them off. Yeah, I would agree. So back to that ring for a second. I did just want to uh, be sure to mention, to be absolutely certain that you inspect the stem for no trace of a ring. Because if you do find a thin ring, this could very well be a deadly gallerina. And I think that the name says it all. So as long as you don't find any kind of thin ring on the stem, uh, with all the other information and key identifying features, it is safe to say it is a velvet foot, which we have eaten quite a few of we now. 
the deadly gallerina and the enoki or velvet foot yeah do they have the same spore print oh no actually i believe the deadly gallerina spore print is a rusty brown color don't quote me on that but i'm pretty so again look up the spore print color before you dig into them and see what you find definitely anything else well not really to report from my end there was a i'm trying to work on identifying some other winter berries and there was some that we scoped out but i'm not not gotten there on a conclusion you did bake some bread didn't you oh i have actually i've been going a little bit pine needle crazy lately with um we had made We had made a pine needle pesto soup. That was an interesting one. It was very green. That was a couple of weeks ago. And then followed... Yeah, it was pretty darn good. Followed by pine needle bread I just made yesterday. And, oh, then I made a Christmas ice cream cake with the colors of red and green in my mind. Which is a classic, actually, that my mother used to make for an ice cream cake with um, cranberries and pistachios. But I added pine needles to the vanilla ice cream. So it's got a greenish hue. So with the red cranberries, we've yet to crack into that. But I am also have another one up my sleeve or have been dreaming of pine needle candied nuts. So take a little... Keep your eyes peeled on the old edible section on our website because that could be a recipe could be coming soon. There's one every week. Most people know, I think, that listen to this, but check it out if you haven't. It's definitely worth a look. The blog part of it, I've been a little bit slow on. (laughs) And actually, that was the last thing that I just posted on there that I made recently too was the pine needle gougiers. Rather festive. Very festive. So, yeah, I have been going to town on the the pine needles lately. Okay, then, on that note, anything else to add? I would just like to say, get lost! (laughs)